Sam Allardyce is set to replace Lord Sewer as Deputy Speaker of the House of Lords, a move that surprised many as he was heavily linked with being the new judge on The Voice. And with dodgy refereeing decisions dominating the headlines in the opening weeks of the season, we at the line of the end suite ask, what the hell is wrong with people? It's August 20th, and you're listening to Talking Trotters. Welcome to Talking Trotters, the Bolton Wanderers podcast that delivers breaking news four times a month. My name is Alistair Sledge and we've got a great show for you tonight. So let's start with Middlesbrough. I get the feeling that there are going to be quite a lot of similar segments appearing throughout this series. So what the hell was that? Bolton took a 3-5-2 formation to the field, which is something that Lennon once wanted to do with the team for a while now. It was a similar setup to how Preston North End snatched a nil-nil draw against Borough. For 3-5-2 to work, it seems that we have to have pacey wing-backs and strikers that go up and down the channels. Emil Heskey started, so that obviously went out the window in the first minutes. It was a disappointing game, but we've never really expected to win. I'm not sure why I feel disappointed. If you'd offered me a point at the beginning of the season when we were playing Derby and Borough back-to-back, I probably would have bitten your hands off. Perhaps most interesting of all was the third goal, where a rebound opportunity allowed Kike to get his brace. Amos was visibly frustrated with his defenders, particularly Dean Moxie, who failed to deal with the loose ball. He walked into the box and was unsurprisingly beaten to it by a more deserving striker, who nodded past a helpless Amos. And joining me this week to go through the game is Joe Nicholson. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, can you just explain to the listeners, because I imagine they don't follow Middlesbrough fan blogs particularly, uh, what you've been up to? Um, well, I am hoping to go. Well, I'm going to Sunderland Uni next year. Um, I've just got my results. I'm an aspiring sports journalist. I've been writing a blog for a couple of years now, and that's called "It's All About the Borough." I've just started that this season. Actually, I've been doing one before that. I also have a YouTube channel. So, if you type in Joe Nicholson into YouTube, um, you can see all my match day experiences and my reviews of the Middlesbrough games. So, I've been a Middlesbrough season ticket holder for about four years now, um, but always followed them since I was. Uh, since I was younger and, you know, obviously love football and love going to the Borough games. Terrific, and I imagine this was an in particularly sweet Middlesbrough game for you to go to. Yeah, obviously from a Middlesbrough point of view, it was a really good performance from us. Uh, I think it was kind of the sign that our new signings were beginning to click. A lot of um, bookmakers pre-season made us pre-season favourites. And as I said, this was the kind of game where it all kind of came together. We were a bit sluggish in our opening game against Preston and obviously yesterday's game, the likes of Downing, Fabrini really got into the team and looked like they could be good signings for this season. Fabrini seemed like a weird acquisition. I didn't really see that one coming. How's he been How's he been doing? Uh, no, to be honest with you, when he signed, I kind of saw him as a backup player, maybe a squad rotation player in central midfield. But uh, going by yesterday's performance, he's kind of pretty much took over Lee Tomlin's role from last season. Played really well in that number 10 position. Obviously, his first goal was a cracking shot. He was involved in all three goals. It so it looks really like he'd be a real, yeah, really good find this season. Um, he's on loan from Watford, so whether we sign him permanently after the season, I think it will obviously depend on how he does this campaign. Big jump up. He was at uh, Millwall for the 
end of last season, and he was even linked with Bolton for a short period, but Avigen history tells that didn't come through. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember he played against us for Millwall last season at the Riverside, and I, th- I looked in there and thought he's a little bit lightweight. But obviously, uh, yesterday came up came up with the goods and looks like he could be a really good signing. Mm. So, from a Bolton perspective, it looks like we tried a new system, which is something we've been experimenting with for a while, and that is a three at the back. And we don't, at the moment, have the players for it, it seems. It seems like we tried to do what Preston North End did so effectively on the first game of the season, uh, but we just didn't have the legs, we didn't have the skill, and we didn't have the type of players that we needed. So from a from a neutral point, as in, you know, no experience of past with Bolton, how would you rate the system that we tried to play? Well, obviously, it, it didn't work, did it? In, the, in that first half an hour, they got ripped apart, like you said, Fabrini. Was very lively. No one really picked him up. Um, I remember in the Bolton, in the Preston game, sorry, in the first game of the season, like we were alluding to, Downing played in that number ten position, and they put uh, John Welch on him. He kind of man marked him and cut him out of the game. This time it was Fabrini in that number ten role, and Bolton didn't really have anyone who was picking him up. And I think Neil Lennon admitted after the game he got the tactics wrong. Didn't he? Mm. Uh, Bolton were very open. To be fair, I think you had a lot of injuries. I think you were missing Prattley, were you yesterday? Was your captain? It's uh, it's a long running joke, pretty much our injury yeah. problem. It's uh, it's almost getting beyond funny now, and I think if we had had some players fit, we would have definitely been more promising going forward. But I don't think our backline would have been much better with the way that it's going. Because a lot, Dean Moxie, for example, who I imagine you you thanked at the end of the game, uh, he had a very good game against Derby, and we all had him tipped to replace our outgoing player of the year. And after that performance, I'm starting to have doubts about whether he is so uh, so terrific. Uh, a lot of the Bolton players had really good games against Derby, and it just didn't come through again for, against Middlesbrough. In that almost shambolic defence, is there anyone that you can pick out for either an especially good performance or an especially bad performance? Um, I don't know. I think it's obviously difficult. You've lost quite a lot of players. I think it's quite difficult. We were in a similar position a few years ago. When you come down from the Premier League, you kind of expect to go back up. I mean, it was similar for us. You know, you kind of think of yourself as a big club. I'm sure Bolton are the same. Big fan base, big stadium. Yeah. Um, I kind of think, you know, we're going to bounce straight back up. But it's not always the case. You've got a lot of players on, on big wages. And for a couple of seasons, when we came back down, we kind of had this rebuilding process, getting players off the wage bill. And I understand Bolton have had to have had a bit of a clear out in the summer, similar to what we did a couple of seasons ago. And um, a few years ago, Tony Mowbray kind of came in at Middlesbrough and cleared the squad out and kind of laid the foundations for Itil Karanka to come in. And I think it's similar to what Neil Lennon's kind of trying to do now with Bolton. So obviously he's mm-hmm. got a lot of short-term players there on, on the books at the moment, the likes of Emil Heskey. <laughs> um, I understand and you brought Good Johnson in back last season. So it's a lot of just kind of short-term deals I think and I think you know you're kind of building back up to getting ready to challenge for a promotion push really like we were a couple of years ago mm, that, that's what we thought uh, interesting point you brought up about your clear act uh, on the line of Vienna Sweet page uh, which I'll listen our listeners check out hopefully uh, there was a very interesting piece about the missing millions which is about how we've feel like we've been shortchanged with outgoing transfers uh, for a lot of them came from um, from this recent clear out where a lot of the players that we released, you know, had we sold them maybe six months earlier, not a, we wouldn't have got a handsome fee, but we would have got kind of some cash 
in return. Now, obviously, you've been spending a lot of money in the summer, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But do you think that during your clear out, you maybe have struggled with uh, similar, maybe financial shortcomings in terms of outgoing transfers? Maybe a little bit. I think when we when Gordon Strachan was in charge for a little bit, he, he brought in a lot of players after we had been relegated, the likes of Chris Boyd from Scotland. They didn't really cut it and put them on. He put them on big wages as well, so it took a while for them to get off those big wage bills. But obviously, as I said, when he left, Tony Mowbray came and did a quite a good job, really, with the, the financial side, like I said. And now, obviously, Steve Gibson is, I think, is a, probably the best chairman in the league, one of the best chairmen, because he is a fan of Middlesbrough Football Club. And I think that makes a big difference. It does mean something for, for him, um, for the club to do well. And obviously, you've seen that this season. He's um, had to dig deep into his back pocket, brought in the likes of Downing, um, Stu Arnie, he's, he's that bid for Jordan Rhodes. I don't know how true that was, but is prepared to give it a real push and try and get Middlesbrough back. Do you think now that you've signed Nugent that Jordan Rhodes bid is going to be put to bed? Yeah, I think that's over now. I think um, I think Blackburn are possibly holding out for a, a bigger offer from us because they are in debt. They do need the money. But I think once we've found David Nugent, who I think is, is quite a good sign, to be honest. I know he's 30 years old. <laughs> he scored um, 20 goals, I think, for Leicester two years ago. And he's, a, he's the kind of striker that will close defenders down and not give them a minute's rest. So I think it's a really good signing for us, really. Mm. Now, you're, as you said, your favourites to go up. Uh, I have you down as the people who are going to win the championship. Uh, so half of me doesn't want me to be proved wrong, but the other half wants uh, a miraculous Bolton turnaround. If you don't go up this season, what do you think the ramifications could be for the club? Um, I'm not sure at the moment. I think Steve Gibson's obviously thrown a lot of money at it. The thing is with the Downing and the Nugent deal, he's what he's done is he's staggered the deals. So you may have been reading that the Downing transfer was worth seven million, but what we've actually done is we've paid them three point five million uh, West Ham that is at the start, and then we'll pay them another one point five million at the end of the season, and another two million if we go up. And just, I think it's the same with the Nugent deal. So uh-huh. some of these transfers do depend on whether we go up or not, which would kind of if we don't go up, it would soften the blow a little bit. Well, that seems very sensible. Looking on to the uh, to the end of the season, uh, where do you think Bolton will finish? From what I saw, I kind of thought that you would be a mid-table team. I think you're. I don't think you're bad enough to go down. Um, I think you are. You are still a big club. You are still showing signs that you will rebuild, like we did a couple of seasons ago. But based on yesterday's performance, I do probably think you'll finish maybe in the bottom half of the table, if I'm honest. Um, but I do expect you. Like we've done, maybe too. Like Neil Lennon will um, sort out the wage bill, sort out the financial side. Maybe whether he's the man to take you further on to push for promotion, I'm not sure. Maybe you get a, a new manager in, but I think uh, maybe not this season, but in the next few seasons, you could be back up there challenging to get back up in the Premier League. We all hope so. To be honest, I can't really blame you for not looking too optimistically for us. We did just turn up to your stadium and pretty much got twatted three nil. So. Uh... Right, well, my thanks to Joe for joining me. Uh, can we find you on the internet, Joe? Twitter or your blog yeah, again? Um, my Twitter is Joe underscore Nicholson 96. And as I said, you can follow, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel if you just type in Joe Nicholson into YouTube. My channel should come up and also my blog. It's called It's All About the Borough. So thanks for having me on and best of luck for Bolton for the rest of the season. Thank you, you too. Right, Joe Nicholson, everybody. We'll be right back. Then... We went to the roundabout capital of the world, Milton Keynes. 
MK Dons' goal came from the substitute Powell as he poked the ball into the side netting, one of their three shots on target. Al Bolton Wanderers left with nothing, not even a goal, will confuse me and frustrate me for years. Over a thousand Wanderers fans looked on helplessly as the ball was passed around like a hot potato around the edge of the box. Dons defended in numbers to congest the box and it worked. Dans and Prince competed throughout the match to do their best impression of Christ the Redeemer with no one paying attention to either of them. The score was 1-0. It'll now be at least 124 days without Bolton scoring a competitive goal. Between now and then, 43 million babies have been born. And now for the roundup of the under-21s, it's Tom Malloy. I'm currently full of a cold, and I can barely remember what happened yesterday, let alone last Monday, but I'll try to give my best comprehensive review of the opening two games of the under-21 season. Last week, the Young Whites kicked off their season in front of a small crowd comprised of scouts, injured players, and people like me with, frankly, too much time on our hands. With the Burton Albion game a day later, it was quite a youthful team with under-18s Calm Spooner, Chris Kovetko, and Alex Perry joining the likes of Hayden White and now Mayer in the team. There was, of course, an appearance of me though, or perhaps it should be me don't on the back of this dreadful individual performance. I do of course apologise for the awful pun. The bright spots were summer recruit George Newell and his strike partner, the prolific Jamie Thomas, whose unbelievable techers slash mad skills seem to translate well from the under 18s to reserve level, although it's fair to say he did try a bit much at times. Both of them two scored in a 2-1 win, with Thomas's goal in particular including a fantastic piece of skill. However, the low light was Meadow's awful back pass to allow Bristol City to pull one back. Overall, though, a fairly comfortable victory to start the season. On to the second game of the season, which unfortunately I didn't attend. Despite enjoying my under-21 football, I wasn't quite keen enough to travel down to London to watch us play against Crystal Palace. Palace fielded quite a strong team, featuring the ninth best team in the world's goalkeeper, Wayne Hennessy. Make of that what you will. They also played professional hair gel model Marouane Shamat and recent signing Bakary Sacco. Bolton went into an early lead when Jamie Thomas scored his second and third goals of the season, including a lovely free kick from 25 yards. Connor Diamond scored for Palace and Chris Kovetko also scored for Bolton as we went into the break 3-1 up. However, things got a bit mental in the second half, with Palace pulling one back before winning three, yes, three penalties in the last few minutes. Alex Finney was sent off for the foul that led to the first one, but Harry Campbell saved it. Sacco then hilariously skied the second one, trying to chip it down the middle very cockily before eventually it was all too much and Diamond slammed home to equal the game up at Friol which is how it ended. Next up for the under-21s are Birmingham City at the Macron next Monday so hopefully there'll be quite a decent crowd on for that. I've been Tom Alloy and this was your under-21 roundup. Thanks Tom and once again the apology does not necessarily represent the views of the podcast. Wanderers play Forest on Saturday at the Macron as if the fans didn't already want to scalp Friedman the smuggest twat ever to step into the technical area. The club have riled us up by dropping ticket prices and putting Matt Mills's face on the cover of the programme. The lying Scot- Scotsman is to return to the first time after his tenure at Bolton, and I'm worried that our poor run of form will continue and make his day a little happier. If there is one guy I'd like to get our first win against, it would be free. He doesn't scare me, I scare me. The only thing that could get me more pumped is if I was injected full of cocaine and Al Pacino jumps through the window and does his speech from any given Sunday. Bet you thought that was going to be a Scarface joke. You thought wrong. A day may come when the courage of wanderers fails, but it is not this day. Whether you're pro-Lennon, anti-Lennon or lemon tea, let's raise the roof and let him know that he isn't going to get away with playing his typical style back here one more time.
clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. For tonight we dine in hell, for this is our time. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. It ain't about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you get hit. We'll always have Paris, why so serious? I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. You blew it up, damn it, you blew it up, damn you all to hell. Uh, okay, I think I lost my train of thought, but please, everyone that's playing on Saturday, try. For the love of goodness, try. And now it's time for Abuse the News. Each week, bizarre news stories from all over sports compete to be the most ridiculous for your entertainment. First up, the Alan Shearer statue. It was unveiled this week to another Newcastle hero, showing his signature hand-in-the-air celebration. Frankly, if you haven't seen it, it's crap. It makes him look like he's doing the Gangnam Style dance. It was created in a workshop in China and based on the design by Tom Maley, not to be confused with our very own Tom Malloy. Originally, it was supposed to be at the top of the gate which would link it with Jackie Milburn by a Wembley-esque arch filled with oversized pinballs, but it seems that that proposal has now been rejected. And against that one this week is Novak Djokovic smelling weed while on the court at the Rogers Cup. This comes on top of the news that Kyrgios's controversial sledging has resulted in him getting suspended from tennis where he told Warinka that his girlfriend was cheating on him. Tennis players are now living the lives of rock stars. All they need is Andy Murray to sing The Proclaimers is 500 miles and they've got sex, drugs and rock and roll. The award this week will probably go to the tennis. I went to the Rogers Cup on my travels in Montreal, funnily enough, and it was so hot that we got baked, but I never knew they could smell it. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. So, Bolton new boy Wellington Silver has signed a loan deal, and it's been finally announced by the club. He's going to be taking the number 22 jersey. He, of course, uploaded a selfie in his new Bolton training kit, uh, announcing his loan deal way before the club confirmed it, where he said that he was looking forward to playing in the Premier League. Looks like someone might have told a little porky when trying to get his signature. And the other incoming signing is Francesco Pisano, who was announced literally three minutes before I recorded this segment. I said that he had no chance, as QPR were also interested in him, but it seems that their attention was short-lived, and they instead diverted their efforts onto Tim Ream. And my God, what a story that's been. So a few have been wondering why the Ream deal has taken so long. It only has been announced a few hours ago. So to recap, here's the full story. At the beginning of August, QPR bid £1 million for everyone's favourite yank. Wanderers fans took a good 17 seconds to unanimously reply, piss off. Then, presumably with the inflated budget and giddiness after the sale of Patrick Roberts, Fulham put in a bid. QPR upped their bid and we all gripped tight and hoped that the AirAsia tycoon and the man behind your favourite car bumpers, who is apparently worth $4.6 billion, got into a bidding war. Tim was weighing up his options between QPR and Fulham and thought that Fulham presented him the best opportunity of going up. It's his choice, I guess. We thought that we was going to be going to QPR, but then it seemed that he changed his mind when NBC broke the story that he'd chosen the Cottages over the Rangers. Les Ferdinand had been negotiating hard, according to QPR manager Chris Ramsey. Ferdinand has tried to convince the board to back him, but unfortunately for QPR... The board are a group of highly chained Gwenon monkeys masquerading as people by climbing on each other's shoulders and wearing trench coats. So to get the deal done, he had to first train the monkeys to read, and after they did that, the monkeys couldn't stop writing out the works of Shakespeare. So some say that is why the sales of Leroy Fur and Charlie Austin are taking so long, because they all respond to bids with, to be or not to be, that is the question, after throwing their faeces at the walls. 
So after that whole issue, the monkeys then tried to unionise because they're French, and that was an utter mess that they had to clean up. But now they have a proper retirement plan, and the Euro Tunnel, I mean, I mean the deal, was back on the rails. Damn it. So while that was going on, Fulham threw money at the club, and then he signed for the cottages. So Reem, Reem, wherefore art thou, Reem? Deny my chairman and refuse thy bid. What's in a transfer? That which we call a cottager by any other team would still smell as sweet. I was going to make more Shakespeare references, but the world's greatest wordsmith was trumped by our very own Daniel Murphy this week. Part of me hates that this was dragged out so long, but the other half is glad. We got to say goodbye and watch his stock increase as we did it. At least it didn't end like The Sopranos and cut to black mid sen Alright, that's our show. My thanks to Joe Nicholson and, as always, Tom Malloy. The boys will be back for the Love Pod next week. Kevin Davies couldn't join us as he is currently competing in the Great British Bake Off. Hopefully he can take a break from Bread Week and come back for us to play against Forrest. It's the yeast he can do. Quite frankly, we need him. I hate myself just as much as you do, buddy. I'll be collecting my results at the time of this episode's release, so this may be the last episode. If my mother does murder me and I am found dead Friday morning, I'd like David and Gog, Martin Petrov, Owen Garvin and Dougie Friedman to perform the committal and lower my coffin into the ground so that they can all let me down one last time. I've been Alistair Sledge. Good night. Good night.